Welcome to The Cultured Commuter, a cultured approach to the daily commute. I'm John Church. And I'm Catherine Moran. In this episode, we visit the Pantheon, an extraordinary example of Roman architectural innovation built in the first century AD by the Roman Emperor Hadrian. The Pantheon remains the world's largest unreinforced concrete dome. It is the ideal expression of the technological genius and power of empire which defined imperial Rome. Today, it's ancient Rome. And we'll visit the Pantheon. It's a lens on the Roman Empire. The Pantheon that we look at today was not the original Pantheon. In fact, the original Pantheon was built by Marcus Agrippa, who was the son-in-law of Augustus Caesar, the first emperor of Rome, in about 25 AD. The Pantheon was actually destroyed by fire not once but twice, the first time in 80 AD and the second in about 110. So the Pantheon that we are looking at is the third version, which was constructed under Hadrian's reign. So it's this sacred soil almost where the history of Rome is embedded in the building and all of these experiences of the great emperor Augustus who really founds the empire or the first true emperor and starts this whole idea of this this leader of the world and then the succeeding emperors keep rebuilding. So it has that mystique even in the ground and then the building itself. So magnificent, the building, the scale, the materials, and the know-how that went into it. In fact, in some ways, the scale of the building is a parallel with the scale of empire. So we start with probably the most diminutive version of the Pantheon in the earliest years. And as the empire expands, the building expands. And I think so does the meaning of the building and certainly what's embedded within the materials that it consists of. And the materials are coming from across the empire. They certainly are. Today, We have the Pantheon used as a Catholic church. The artist Raphael is buried there. The Pantheon, too, has influenced architects starting in the ancient world up until today. And it remains the high point of Hadrian's Rome. To me, he is the most cultivated and culture-seeking of the Roman emperors. He travels throughout the empire. He goes to Egypt. He collects. He spends time in Athens, which, although Rome ruled the world, Athens was considered its intellectual heart because the Romans really are adopting Greek culture, its cultural ideals. And the Romans, I think their special gift is not classical ornament, which the Greeks perfect, classical columns, which the Greeks perfect. It's their sense of engineering innovation. And the Pantheon is that in spades. Indeed, you see the love for Greek ornamentation, Greek design, scale, proportion, meeting the higher geometries. And then the Romans imbue it with this innovative technology, certainly poured concrete construction for the first time in the ancient world, changes the way the interior spaces actually look. And Hadrian's bringing back classical sculpture to his villa at Tivoli just outside the city. Other Roman emperors are building big. You know, this is when the Colosseum is created. This is this this is the Rome we see in in uh, in myth, in movies, uh, pageantry, scale, and also good old Roman know-how. It's it actually true. created the building itself. There aren't really very many specific documents relating to the construction of this version of the Pantheon, and it's 
unknown whether Hadrian was just the emperor who commissioned it, and some scholars believe that he had a much more uh, meaningful role, and he may have, in fact, been the architect of the Pantheon itself. But what we do know is Hadrian decided to keep the original inscription from the very first Pantheon on this building. So the original inscription was put there by Marcus Agrippa, and it literally says, I'm Marcus Agrippa, the son of Lucius, three times council, and I made this. And this inscription, in fact, confused scholars for many, many years until it was codified that Hadrian, in fact, was the one who was responsible for the construction of this pantheon. And he or his architects, the builders, created something that looks so simple. It's a circle. It's a pure circle. But the construction is so complex. So complex. So let's take a look at Hadrian's pantheon. If you think about pure geometry, it's a perfect circle. So there's a drum made of load-bearing brick with a vaulted dome on top. When you enter it, though, you're entering a traditional Greek temple. Columns supporting a triangular pediment. That's your vestibule, which they would have called this proneo space. So it's a surprise. When you get inside, yeah, you don't you don't know what to expect. It's this as if you've entered heaven. And for the ancient Romans who would have visited the Pantheon, and certainly dignitaries from foreign lands, other people, maybe Hadrian was trying to impress, that entrance with the long row of an open courtyard bounded by colonnades. There was a Roman triumphal arch in the center, and they would have approached what would appear to them as a building they had seen a lot of times before. It looked like a traditional Greek temple, a, an edifice bound by a pediment and supported by columns. However, once they entered, they were in a space that really had could only be defined by Roman technology and innovation. Yeah, a space no one had ever seen before. Perfect circle. Perfect Pure, circle. perfect circle. And faced in the most exquisite marbles from around the empire. It's also important to note that the present-day Pantheon has accumulated dirt. So Rome today has actually accumulated ground. The original Pantheon would have been elevated from the street. And I think that gives the building a little bit more austerity than its present orientation, although it's still quite lovely. And leave it to the Romans to use technological wizardry to create this huge unsupported dome to elevate the position of the emperor while also celebrating the power of all the gods. Quite a trick. Let's take apart the Pantheon a little bit. What do we see, John? When you first approach, there's the portico, which is the row of columns topped by the pediment. Uh, You're entering with these rectilinear, linear, spare forms around you. Everything's a straight line. Everything's geometrically bound in the Pantheon. Circles and squares rule the day. Then once you get inside, you're in a circle in every way. With then the uh, oculus, the opening in the ceiling, shedding this really heavenly light. There's no other light source. Small grill over the front door, and that's it. The rest of the interior is bound by darkness that's only illuminated by torchères and the light coming from the oculus. It's important to think about that facade, the entrance into this massive rotunda. It was decorated with relief sculptures originally, most likely made of gilded bronze. There were holes that 
are still visible and they were used to affix the sculpture to the pediment. And some scholars have looked at the shape of these holes and suggested that the original design was an eagle within a wreath and that there were ribbons extending from the wreath across the pediment touching the corners. That surely makes sense because the Roman legions carried the eagle as their standard into every battle. So it's a symbol of Rome's supremacy. And the exterior of the building also was fitted with brasses. So not only was the exterior beautiful, it had, it must have glinted and shone in the sunlight in a really magisterial way. Story behind the bronze as well, uh, in the ceiling of this Proneos entrance, it was said that uh, Pope Urban VIII, who was a member of the powerful Barberini family, had the bronze stripped down to melt down for sculptures uh, for, for, for the Christian church. And, you know, the saying began, what the barbarians didn't do, the Barberini did, in terms <laughs> of stripping these ancient temples. Which gives us a great idea that even at the time they realized this was a tragedy of humanity and a great loss. But one thing that does survive is that magnificent portico on the way in with the, with the columns made of solid granite from Egypt, and that's a story of empire in and of itself. It really is. The fact that these columns are 39 feet tall, which is the equivalent of a three-and-a-half-story building, and that they're monolithic, meaning that they're carved from a solid piece of stone. And that just didn't exist, right? No. Ancient Egyptian temples had a series of drums, the round forms, one stacked on the other. The ancient Greek temples. Same thing right at the Parthenon with the ancient Greeks. We have stacked fluted drums, but here we have a solid piece of granite, which was quarried from the farthest reaches of the Roman Empire, which at that time happened to be ancient Egypt. Columns were then taken down the Nile, put on a boat, kind of sailed across the ocean to ancient Rome. And even once they arrived in Rome, these massive columns were rolled almost 700 meters from the port to the building site at the Pantheon. Yeah, no feat was too great. Nothing was beyond their skill. And it shows an understanding of how materiality can confer power and communicate to the visitors in very specific ways. There's also a restraint to the Pantheon that says a lot about Hadrian's taste. It wasn't just big for for the sake of being monumental and imposing. There's a restraint. There's the perfection of the circle. There's the careful use of concrete for the dome that stepped as you move up the dome. There are these elegant square coffers inside the building, in the dome, so it relieves the weight of it. For all of its grandeur, there's a sense of discipline. And when you when, when one would walk around the building, the floor is lined with geometric squares of marble, squares, circles, triangles, and the same with the walls. For all the richness, there's that sense of, dis, of a, a discerning eye. And he as an emperor had traveled and seen all the best examples in the ancient world. And in a way, the Pantheon is the culmination of the Roman Empire. All of the exposure to materials, to architectural building techniques, to uh, stylistic trends and elements that Hadrian had been exposed to, all of that visual information finds a cohesive home in the Pantheon. And so they've you know, created this perfect sublime example of geometry uh, that has inspired you know, architects ever since, but it also started in the ground, in the dirt, with cement, with concrete, with their knowledge of real materials. And the Romans were amazing at using different kinds of concrete to do different kinds of things. The Roman concrete was really originally constructed with wet lime and volcanic ash covering a layer of little tiny rocks. But they built forms, these massive forms. When you think about the Pantheon, 
that huge form of the dome was actually constructed with you know wooden forms and then they poured the concrete in and at different layers in the dome they switched up the kind of concrete as they got closer to the oculus they were known to put empty ceramic vessels in to actually physically lighten the load as they got higher and the pitch got even steeper and they create the largest open floor uh, covered open floor space in the world up to that time. An unsupported dome. Not a single post in your way. Not a single post. Something the Greeks could only dream of, creating and shaping an interior space like this. Something as high as a three and a half story building, as wide as a tennis court, without a single column in your way, so you could wander undisturbed. You know, this is what they do in their great bathhouses, they do it in their basilica, their great shopping areas, in the aqueducts that bring water to their cities. They build big, but again, these First time in history where they take arch technology. They don't invent it. The arch had existed before, but they really develop its potential in these magnificent spaces. And the fact that there's a 27-foot oculus or a circular hole right at the apex of that dome, there's no covering for it. It, as you mentioned, lets the light in, but it also lets rain and other weather into the Pantheon. There's a drain on the floor, you know, so the water has a place to run out. And this oculus had a really specific meaning. On April 21st, which is the day the Romans celebrate as the founding of their empire, the midday sun strikes the metal grill above the doorway, and it really fills the courtyard with light. So you can imagine if the emperor were to stand there during that day, what it would look like. How would the emperor appear to the people? And it's that combination, again, of the sublime and the practical because you have this heavenly light pouring in, and yet they knew where the water needed to drain. They did. It's always that combination. There's always that combination. And there's something really charming about that, too, that we know Hadrian not only built this structure, Pantheon, House of All the Gods, and he put it right down in the middle of town, And he actually used it, kind of like his office. He would hold court there and visit with dignitaries in the space. So it had a practicality. In the middle of his architectural creation with all the riches of the empire in marble and and rare materials around him. And its, its value is in its endurance. It has survived. It stood the test of time. It's still standing. The Pantheon today is used, as I mentioned, as a Christian church. And it was consecrated as such in the 600s by Pope Boniface. And when we think about what that means, it's kind of amazing to visit the Pantheon today, which is one of the most visited monuments in the world, and to go in and recognize that there are still masses held inside the Pantheon. It's still a place of worship for a contemporary population. And it inspired others. As well, through time, you know, during the Renaissance, Michelangelo was said to have called the Pantheon the design of angels, you know, not of man. It's absolutely one of the most intriguing things to look through this Renaissance lens at a classical building. And the Romans continued on with arch technology in the 500s AD. The Emperor Justinian built the Church of Holy Wisdom, known as Hagia Sophia, in his city of Constantinople, uh, and again, a miraculously unsupported dome. And back in the West, the Italian Renaissance architect Andrea Palladio works in that dome, and that brings his, his idea of how to introduce a dome into a building will be translated by the English Western Europeans and brought to the shores of the English colonies in America. 
by Thomas Jefferson, most notably, who references the Pantheon in designs for Monticello, which is his home near Charlottesville, Virginia, and also in the rotunda building at the University of Virginia. Which is a half-scale version of the Pantheon at the center of his university and his idea of universal education in democracy. He's taking this temple from the past. So if you want to talk about a long shelf life for an architectural (laughs) form, I mean, this is it. It really is. And in fact, the coffered dome that we are introduced to at the Pantheon becomes really the standard for all the important neoclassical buildings dating from the American Revolution up to modern times. And even the U.S. Capitol Rotunda is inspired by the Pantheon. And you can, as you stand in the U.S. Capitol, you also can look from the Capitol and down the mall is John Russell Pope's Jefferson Memorial, which is also a scaled version of the Pantheon sitting in its tidal basin. So this, this simple circle, reinforced by concrete, becomes an eternal symbol of fine architecture. Imagine what you can do with a circle and a square. Thank you for joining us. Please subscribe to our podcast where we will continue to explore the big ideas and small details that shape world culture. The music in this podcast is an excerpt from Le Toile Danse and is provided courtesy of Maidan.